Kia ora everyone, um, great to be here with you this morning at my spiritual home, great to be at a real Anglican church in you, it's awesome. Um, I hope you've had a really great um, holidays, I hope you had a really good Easter weekend, Sarah and I had a really, really full on Easter weekend, um, we flew down with Piper to Christchurch and we spoke at uh, the Southern Easter Camp to a few thousand young people, um, I think we have a slide of that, um, so you're a much different crowd than, um, much different crowd than last week. One I'm happy to see, though, not least because uh, you guys smell way better than the Easter camps, Easter camp kids. Not that I've been smelling you individually, um, but your collective aroma is far, far less offensive on the nostrils than uh, the Easter camp kids. Uh, when I was at Easter camp, um, we, uh, we witnessed something that was really quite surprising. So on the Good Friday night, uh, Zara spoke in the evening session, and we left the main tent at around 10 p.m. And when we, um, they had a kind of dedicated prayer tent, um, just for prayer, and when we walked past it, 10 p.m. at night, this is what we saw. Dozens and dozens and dozens of young people lining up outside in the, Christ, in the Christchurch cold for prayer. Uh, some were waiting in line for over an hour, and they ended up having their names taken down so they could be uh, first in line uh, for prayer the next day. Uh, the meeting was over. These young people could do anything they wanted. Um, well, not anything they wanted, but they, they had free time. They could have been out eating hot chips. They could have been uh, cuddling their crushes on the Ferris wheel. They could have been vaping in the Portaloos, uh, dancing on the outdoor stage. Um, they, they had free time. Uh, but here they were. Uh, late at night in the Christchurch cold, uh, hungry for God, seeking him, uh, believing that he can do something significant in their lives. And I had a couple of reactions to that. Um, the first, obviously, is this massive sense of joy. How amazing is it that God is doing something in the lives of young people and that they're actually seeking him? You know, there's so many grim statistics about uh, young people and the engagement with faith and the church. And there's also just some pretty grim statistics about the well-being of young people in general. So how incredible that the Spirit seems to be kind of stirring something amongst the lives of uh, young people today. Uh, but it also raised some uncomfortable questions for myself and some uncomfortable feelings. Um, and I found myself asking questions like, where's the passion in my faith gone? You know, would I stand out in the cold for prayer? Am I seeking God in that kind of way? Do I believe that God can do a powerful work in my life? And I was left feeling like there may have been a time, to use a really horrific Christian cliche, uh, where I was on fire for God, and that maybe I've become overly familiar with and numb to the wonders of following Jesus. You see, the biggest threat to my faith and the faith of so many people that I meet isn't, uh, it isn't doubt, it isn't uh, issues in the church, it isn't even um, the experience of suffering. The biggest threat to my faith is apathy. It's a struggle to care about God. It's a struggle to seek God. It's a struggle to be passionate about something we very clearly should be passionate about. It's becoming so familiar with the Christian faith that, uh, and its claims that we no longer see the magic in it. It's being on spiritual cruise control and plateauing in your faith. So many of us used to seek God passionately, experience him regularly, and draw from the depths of his goodness, but maybe you're a bit like me, and you feel like life has a way of distracting you and numbing you to the good news of knowing Jesus. 
Maybe you've grown a wee bit apathetic. The word apathy means uh, apassionate or uh, without passion or a-feeling or without feeling. The, uh, the theologian Uche Anizor defines apathy this way. He says, apathy is a psychological and spiritual sickness in which we experience a prolonged dampening of motivation, efforts, and emotion, as well as resistance to the things that would bring flourishing in ourselves and others. Uh, apathy towards God has been named by um, some scholars as apatheism, a combination of apathy and theism. And theologian uh, Kyle Bashir says apatheism in our current culture stems from four, uh, four different conditions. Uh, the fact that uh, beliefs in God are now diverse and highly contestable in culture. In other words, the conditions of belief are now that Christianity is up for debate and one of many available belief systems but also that our status in life is both distracted and comfortable. Because we're distracted, God often goes unnoticed in our lives, and because we're comfortable, God often feels unnecessary in our lives. The conditions of belief in God give us lack of reason, while the status of life we find ourselves in gives us lack of motivation, and these things combined uh, lead to apathy. But whatever the reason for apathy towards God and faith, the result is that we often dine out in the trivial shallows of life. We get distracted and start finding ourselves just going through the motions. The theologian John Piper puts it this way. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven but endless nibbling around the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality that we drink every night. Now, John Piper is an absolutely terrible theologian, um, probably one of the worst, and I dislike him immensely. Um, please do not read any John Piper, it's terrible. But he's spot on with this point. Um, He's spot on. That for us, especially in the West, the real risk isn't so much the wicked or the immoral, but the trivial. It's the trivial that dulls our hunger for God. And it's the risk of living a trivial life. Um, and the risk of living a trivial life is that we can miss the depth of life found in Jesus. Uh, there's an anonymous um, poet um, in California, I think, and he um, publishes anonymous poems online, and, and one of them uh, reads as follows. So many of us are starving for life and have no idea until the end when we look back and see an uneaten banquet. Why am I bringing all the stuff up uh, at the beginning of an I Am um, series, and Newt's probably thinking that he sent me the wrong preaching brief. Um, but I'm bringing this all up because the, in, the I Am statements that we find in John are often like an uneaten banquet. The I Am statements awaken us to a deeper, more abundant mode of existence in the world. The I Am statements um, in John by Jesus confront us with depth and meaning. And when taken seriously, these I am statements of Jesus should inject passion back into our faith, and they should challenge our shallow existence found in drawing from the flatness of secular consumer society. I am the bread of life. 
Jesus is the one who nourishes your soul, who meets your deepest longings and desires and seeks to do so for all of creation. I'm the light of the world. Jesus is transforming darkness into radiance and makes a lone impossible and hope possible in the darkest of times. I'm the gate of the sheep. Jesus wants you to walk through and enjoy its pastures. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus wants to tend to you and your well-being, and he wants you to become attuned to his voice. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus does the hard work of growth and pruning through the Spirit in your life. I am the way. In a world of multiple ways, Jesus shows us how to be human. I am the truth, then truth is found in a person and not an idea, and we know truth by being in relationship with it. I'm the life, Jesus doesn't just give life, he is life. I'm the resurrection, Jesus is in the business of redeeming anything deemed unredeemable. These are no small claims, and if they're true, they change everything, including the way we live our lives. They leave no space for the trivial and no option for apathy. And these statements all raise the question for us, will we eat the bread? Will we walk through the gate? Will we receive life? Will we go the way of Jesus? Or will we continue on in the trivial shallows of life? And in these I am statements, um, we, f we find not a moralistic, legalistic, boring Jesus, nor is it a Jesus who only cares what happens to us after we die, but the Jesus who leads us into an enhanced and abundant way of being in the world right now. C.S. Lewis uh, says this. He says, The world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues, and there's a rumor going around, around the shop that some of us someday are going to come to life. The invitation found in the I am statements is the invitation to come to life, to enter into a deeper mode of existence in this world, to not just be muddling through, but to be present to God, self, and others. But it's not just all about us personally. Jesus is actually doing something very, very clever in the I am statements. And what he's doing is what Newt's talked about, is he's tying his identity to Yahweh's. In our reading, uh, God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus. Moses asked God, when I go back, to um, go back to the Israelites, who should I say I met? What's your name? And God says, I am who I am, which I'm sure was super helpful for Moses. Lots of uh, helpful data in that. I'm sure the boys were super stoked when he got back and gave them this profound, um, impressive revelation to them. He should have asked him his Christian name, really. But um, regardless, um, Jesus reveals himself as I am or uh, Yahweh. And so when Jesus keeps saying I am repeatedly in these statements, he's claiming the identity of God. He's tying himself to the God of the Old Testament, the creator and the sustainer of all things. This is made super clear uh, in John 8, where he says, before Abraham was I am. Uh, and the Jewish people didn't love that. They were not chill about that. Um, they picked up stones to stone him to death. So Jesus ties his identity with Yahweh. But then what Jesus does is he invites us to tie our identities to him. And we become in Christ. We become little Christ. And so in these I am statements, we find ourselves tied up in the identity and purposes and the mission of God in the world in an inseparable way. 
God has called us and is banking on us to partner with him in the redemption of all things. God has surprisingly chosen people tied to him to be the redemption plan of the cosmos. The divine is not only sharing his life with us, but his plan and purpose as well. So what we see in the I am statements is twofold. It's an invitation to jump into the depths of human existence by partnering with a God who reveals what it looks like to be human. But we also find ourselves being invited to tie our identity with God and to be participating agents of action in this world. These are very significant things, things that I don't want you to miss out on because they are an absolute banquet. And as we finish up, I want to invite you to a couple of things. Um, the first is, if you're feeling apathetic, if you're feeling passionless, if you feel like you're on cruise control, uh, I'd love for you to receive prayer this morning. Um, I'd love for you to take the conscious step to have your faith reignited this morning, to have the passion um, for your faith reinstated and to overcome apathy. And if we could just line up here all the way out the door, that would be really great. I'd appreciate, I'll take a photo and use it for my, for my next sermon. No. Um, and you could just come up here and say, I'm feeling apathetic. And it's fine, we can work with that. That's enough for us. Um, but I also want to invite you over the series, um, over this I Am series, to open yourself to the possibility of meeting Jesus afresh to put aside the familiarity um, with Jesus and to open yourselves to be uh, surprised and to be in awe of the Christ who is making all things new and inviting you to do the same. The Christ who invites us out of the shallows of life and into living deep, meaningful lives. And uh, I'm going to finish in a bit of a weird way. I don't usually do the old video video in the sermon uh, situation. Uh, but I often find myself in the YouTube vortex, um, just spiraling, watching videos. Uh, and I absolutely love videos where people are having their um, cochlear implants switched on for the first time. And I was trying to figure out, why am I so drawn to these videos? Why do I like these? And I think it's because they're unlocking a depth of life and a reality that hasn't been available to them yet. They're having a deeper experience of the world and the world around them. They're seeing reality in a different key. And it's really beautiful. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch one of these videos quickly with us this morning, uh, and then I'll come up and um, bless us to finish. May you hear and experience the good news of Jesus afresh. May you be drawn deeper into a relationship with Jesus and become more like him. And may you be tied closely with the identity and purposes of Christ in this world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.